has reached epidemic proportions in America. I'm Dr. Paul Christo. This is Aches and Gains. Dr. Paul Christo is one of America's leading experts on relieving pain. He's board-certified, Harvard-trained, and a pain medicine specialist at Johns Hopkins. U.S. News and World Report ranks him as a top doctor and among the top 1% in the nation for pain management. Becker's Review selected him as one of the 70 best pain management physicians in America. He's listed as a super doctor for the Washington, D.C., Baltimore, Northern Virginia area. Aches and Gains is a weekly talk show covering all aspects of pain and pain relief. The human impact is real. Older adults, children, and even infants struggle to cope with pain. But there's hope, and there are treatments that can ease pain and suffering. The show offers compelling stories about people who've found relief. We share cutting-edge treatments from contributing experts, and we offer ways to help people cope with their pain. Welcome to the show. Last time, Charlie Harless shared his story of how fibrous dysplasia affected his bones and his life. Dr. Pat Manti shared the basics of bone growth, bone pain, and nerve sprouting that occurs after injury and due to osteoarthritis. On today's show, Charlie will talk about what his pain is like and how he's overcome it. And then Dr. Pat Manti will focus on effective treatments for skeletal pain and exciting new discoveries in treating osteoarthritis, low back pain, and bone cancer pain. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, Purdue Pharma, and Boston Scientific. For live online listening to Aches and Gains, please go to paulchristomd.com. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. If you have any questions or comments for Dr. Christo, please email him at achesandgains at gmail.com. Charlie Harless is a founding member and president of the Fibrous Dysplasia Foundation. He's an accomplished attorney working on public policy and employment for people with disabilities. Charlie, welcome to Aches and Gains. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Some of my patients with bone pain will say, Dr. Christo, sometimes my pain feels dull and other times, well, I just can't really point to the area that's painful. Other patients with arthritis, uh, for example, will say, gosh, you know, it's sharp, it's stabbing when I walk. What is your pain like? I'd say mine's sort of a combination. Some of it, uh, you know, is that sort of more persistent throbbing's the right word or not. Mm -hmm. I'm very comfortable sitting. I can work all day and not have to take any pain meds, you know, really at all for that. Then when I try to walk or when I'm sleeping and I get into a wrong position kind of thing, then I definitely need pain med for that type of situation. Sure. And, And Charlie, where is most of your pain? The knees and my femur on the left side. Okay. Right side, a little less so. It has partly to do, I think, with the hardware. You never can prove it, but I think that there's possibly some loosening of some of the hardware. Mm-hmm, exactly. Or, uh, based on some of the research that Dr. Manti has done, you could have nerve sprouting into areas of the bone where those nerves shouldn't be that can cause the pain you're experiencing. For those who just joined us... Uh, Charlie has a condition called fibrous dysplasia, which is when normal bone is replaced by fibrous tissue. And this causes the bone to expand and uh, unfortunately is weak and subject to fractures. Uh, Charlie, many thought that the pain of fibrous dysplasia improved with age, but some studies suggest that it actually worsens. Have you found this? Yeah, yeah. And talking to my friends, I'm I'm president of the Fibrous Dysplasia Foundation, uh-huh. so I get to talk to a lot of people, and yeah, that's that's very consistent with uh, what I'm finding is that the pain issues tend to be worse as you get older, for the most part. Uh huh. Now, what? Why? I who knows? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and, and even more specifically, it seems like the spine is the site of more and more involvement over time. Have you noticed more spinal pain? Yeah, in fact, uh, you may know Dr. Arabella Leet, who was at Hopkins. She was an orthopedic surgeon, and one of the studies that she did was of uh, scoliosis in people with fibrous dysplasia. Yeah. And what they were finding was that it was a much, much more prevalent than they had thought it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and Charlie, as the president of the Fibrous Dysplasia Foundation, what do others tell you about the impact that bone pain has had on their lives? It's obviously a major problem. I'd, I'd say that the adults are most concerned, I'd say, number one, about the pain issues that they're mm-hmm. having and its impact uh, on their work and on their personal lives. Mm-hmm. Probably second is more of a you know, mo- mobility you know, issues, et cetera. The other yeah. major group that we've got in the foundation are the parents of the kids. And their primary issues are, what is this? What can I do? How, you know, where can I get help? Absolutely. I mean, that makes perfect sense. Charlie, because doctors don't recognize that uh, this condition often causes severe pain, patients are labeled as drug-seeking or opioid-seeking. What's the feedback that you've gotten about this? Yeah, a lot of them have significant problems in, in getting you know, any help. You know, doctors will say, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give you some pain meds for a while, but I'm not going to give them to you, you know, for, for long-term use. Right. And you have to try to explain that you know, this disease is not going to get any better. Mm-mm. The best you can do for some people is uh, when they are having fractures, you can you know, use some rotting technique, techniques and things like that. And admittedly, that does take care of some of the pain issues. Sure, those rods that you're talking about that the orthopedist place uh, inside the bone to stabilize it. You know, we talked off the air about uh, how effective the anti-inflammatories uh, have been for you, specifically Aleve, uh, in the sense that uh, it made you comfortable moving about and uh, functioning. Unfortunately, you had to take, take such large doses of Aleve that um, you had to stop it. So what did you replace the Aleve with? Uh, oxycodone, five milligrams. How many per day just really depended on, you know, what sort of pain level I was having. Sure. What are your thoughts on the current controversy? That is, the interest on the part of the government in reducing supply of opioids to control abuse. I mean, how will that affect you and those using opioids for bone pain? I have to plan ahead because I can't get more than a 30-day supply at a time. Yeah. And I've even had the insurance people you know, question you know, whether I needed the dosage that I was you know, currently getting. Mm-hmm. And luckily, you know, we were able to give them you know, fairly quick answers to satisfy them. But yeah. uh, I think it causes us some concern. And I think we worry a little bit about what would happen if, in fact, they restricted uh, you know, the utilization or availability of these to a point where we either couldn't get them at all or couldn't get them uh, to the extent that uh, we need them for the pain levels that we have. Mm-hmm. That echoes what I hear from my patients as well. We have to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk to Charlie about how much relief he's getting from the oxycodone. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and you're listening to Aches and Gains. Aches and Gains is supported by Medtronic, the global leader in medical technology, alleviating pain, restoring health, and extending life for millions of people around the world. Purdue Pharma, making a positive impact on healthcare and on lives, reminding everyone to safeguard medications in their home. And we're back. Uh, Charlie, what kind of a difference in your life does the opioid or the oxycodone make? Uh, quite a bit. What I'm doing now, I'm actually taking oxycontin. They, they decided, given 
the amount of oxycodone that I'd sort of gotten up to that it would make more sense to switch to the longer acting version. Sure. It makes a very substantial difference that if, if I'm not taking you know, that level of uh, pain uh, medications, then I'm much less likely to go out and be active and interact with uh, you know, friends and neighbors, yeah. especially, you know, being around kids and things like that a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. And exactly, I mean, how much relief are you actually getting? Uh, I would say most of the time I'm getting 60 to 70% range. Wow, that's that's pretty high. Uh, Charlie, do you have any side effects? From what I can tell, it I wouldn't say it slowed me down mentally, but it uh, has made it more difficult to concentrate on things. So like when I'm working, I may have to go back and reread something a couple of times before I'm sure I've got it. Mm-hmm. And, and then if we move from the opioids to a class of drugs called the bisphosphonates, well, let's talk about those for a minute. Uh, they prevent bone loss, uh, and they're drugs like Fosamax, for example. They're, they're commonly used to treat osteoporosis and bone pain from cancer. And interestingly, uh, they're also used to slow bone loss in crew members who spend long periods of time on the International Space Station. But Charlie, for fibrous dysplasia, a specific bisphosphonate called pamidronate is has been given intravenously uh, to stop the bone from being destroyed, and it's provided striking relief of bone pain. What's your experience or knowledge about this particular drug? In the long bones, especially the femurs and the ribs, is where it is very effective for uh, pain relief. Uh, the only problem you got to be concerned there was that major uh, side effect of the uh, osteonecrosis of the jaw. But, yeah. And I've got a very close friend uh, out on the West Coast who has had to have six oral surgeries just this year so far. Wow. Because she's been taking bisphosphonates uh, intravenously for 15 years or more now. Mm-hmm. I, I think the people are starting to become more concerned about that. You know, it sounded like a great drug at first. Uh, Paying for it's another major problem. It's an off-label for, for, for fibrous dysplasia, so getting your insurance company to agree to pay for it uh, is, is extremely difficult to Sure, and... Osteonecrosis means that there's a decrease in blood flow to the bone, which causes the bone to break down or even die. Charlie, have you had any success with some of the alternative treatments like uh, acupuncture or or spirituality? I tried uh, acupuncture this year. Uh I sort of liked it, but I'm not sure if I was getting any real relief. My wife and I are both very active in our church. I, I do tend to look to the people in my church for a lot, you know, of support and people that I can talk to about stuff like this. You know? Yeah. And, and, and so in that sense, I've, I've used uh, the spirituality. Good. You know, I've had patients like yourself who've said that religion or spirituality has helped them cope uh, with their pain. And further, uh, you know, there have been some studies that have shown that acupuncture is Uh, effective for bone pain, uh, like shoulder arthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. Before we close, how do you feel those with continual pain, and especially skeletal pain, can overcome it? In terms of overcoming it, I would tend to look at it more in how can they deal with it? Mm -hmm. How can they continue to do what they want to do with it? Uh, In some cases, especially with something like FD, the pain's going to be there. Yeah. And I think you can find ways of lessening its impact on your life. I like that a lot. And Charlie, what's lessened the impact of pain on your life the most? I think probably the fact that I know that I'm not alone out there. I was, how old was I? I was 50 years old before I met another person who had fibrous dysplasia. Wow. 
<laughs> and so all of a sudden, you know, to realize that, hey, the kind of problems that I've had and the kind of issues I've had to deal with, hey, mm-hmm. there's some there's some other folks out there who've been through the same thing. And, you know, us meeting together, talking to each other and, you know, whatever, you know, you know just with this call today, uh, I, I sent out a quick little email to uh, the group and sort of said, hey, look, I'm going to you know, be interviewed on for this radio program. Here's what we're going to talk about. Yeah, let me know how you're doing. What are some of your stories kind of thing that I might be able to share, et cetera. Very true. I mean, the value of support groups cannot be underestimated. And for those who want to find out more about fibrous dysplasia, go to the Fibrous Dysplasia Foundation at www.fibrousdysplasia.com. Charlie, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on Aches and Games. Well, thank you. I, I enjoyed it. Up next is Dr. Pat Manti, expert in skeletal pain. I'm Dr. Paul Christo, and this is Aches and Gains. Follow us on Twitter at DRPaulCristo and like us on Facebook, Aches and Gains. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Each week, we invite you to email Dr. Christo with your questions at achesandgains at gmail.com. Welcome back. Dr. Manti is a professor of pharmacology at the University of Arizona. He studies the molecular and cellular mechanisms that regulate musculoskeletal pain. In fact, his investigations have led to the development of new therapies for things like osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, and the pain of bone cancer. Dr. Manti, welcome to Aches and Gains. Wonderful to be here. Pat, our previous guest, Charlie Harless, uh, suffers from bone pain due to fibrous dysplasia. What have your studies on this condition shown us about our understanding of bone pain? Fibrous dysplasia is a condition where you have continual remodeling, but inappropriate remodeling of bone. Yeah. And you get this thing called woven bone. And the, and the reason it's called woven, if you look at it under a microscope, it almost looks like a thread that somebody has gone back and forth and, and weaved this woven bone. Right. And we think that it actually is going to be innervated by nerve fibers. Again, you get that same sprouting. Mm-hmm. We, we have not shown that. That's a hypothesis that we hope to test in the near future that you're getting the nerve fibers sprouting into the bone, and that's one of the reasons these individuals have bone pain, because the, the bone is constantly being remodeled there, but it's only generating poor bone. You can almost think about it as like a fracture which never properly heals. Mm-hmm. That's a great analogy. Which treatments have been the most promising for fibrous dysplasia? Well, the one which is really used, which has a relatively low side effect profile, are bisphosphonates. Yeah. That's something that people take for osteoporosis, this thing basically slows down the process by which bone is broken down, and, and that's been very useful in fibrous dysplasia. Its major problem is fibrous dysplasia usually presents itself uh, in an individual when they're still growing their bones, and you don't want to basically slow that process down. In older individuals, I think you can use it, and I think it does slow down the bone remodeling, but it probably doesn't do anything to the underlying, what we believe is remodeling of nerve fibers, which is occurring in that condition. And Pat, is there a particular bisphosphonate that's been the most useful for treating fibrous dysplasia? I think we're at the end of the line for bisphosphonates because you can actually get these rare, but when they occur, this osteonecrosis of the jaw. And there's a new one out there called uh, denosumab. You can almost think of it as a super bisphosphonate. I think at the end of the day, that therapy has been very useful in patients with bone cancer, fibrous dysplasia, yeah. osteoporosis. But its major problem is whereas it slows down the bone destruction, 
it does nothing useful as far as bone building. Right. You know, uh, Charles mentioned earlier in the show that uh, some other patients with fibrous dysplasia have benefited greatly from bisphosphonates uh, because they can provide significant relief of bone pain. Uh, But how long does this relief actually last? Well, that's a good question. I think the answer is they provide some relief from the bone pain as long as there's active bone remodeling. Yeah. For example, I mean, there's a significant debate in the literature now in women with osteoporosis, how long should you be taking it? Mm-hmm. I think everybody agrees that you get the most bang for your buck in the first two to three years. If you're basically stopping the breakdown of bone, what you'd expect is you're, with time, your bones are become, going to become more brittle. And that has been shown to occur in women that have been on bisphosphonates for 10 or 15 years. Yeah, exactly. You know, and as a pain specialist, I use several treatments for bone pain depending on the the cause. Uh, Let's talk about the anti-inflammatory drugs called the NSAIDs. What's your sense for how effective they can be for treating bone pain? I think NSAIDs are remarkably effective as far as dealing with mild to moderate skeletal pain. I think the the one issue which has been raised in, in the last several years is the idea that can NSAIDs actually inhibit the bone remodeling that you want to actually have occur. Yeah. So people have shown that, for example, if you have a fracture, um, it slows down fracture healing. Certainly in animal models, mm-hmm. I think the jury is still out about just how much it slows it down in humans. You know, but the other problem, of course, that we have at the moment is, well, if you're not going to give an NSAID for, for skeletal pain, what are you going to give? Exactly. You know, the NSAIDs, things, drugs like Motrin and Naproxen, as you mentioned, I also find quite effective for treating bone pain. Uh, They do have certain side effects, potentially on the stomach lining and uh, on the kidneys. And, you know, I I wonder whether the next line of therapy then would be the opioids. I think they're effective, but I think that, I, I don't think they're as effective as NSAIDs just as far as giving you relief without a significant side effect. But I think the problem with long-term opiate use is that you do have issues of tolerance. You have to take more of the opiate to get the same relief. I think most people that do take opiates for an extended period of time just say, I don't have the mental sharpness that I had before. And, and they come with a whole um, bag of other things of when, you, when you want to get off of it. You can say, okay, what's what's my alternative? You know, I do have patients who uh, demonstrate what you're describing, and at the same time, I do have several patients who are on opioids long term for chronic pain conditions who do very well and who feel like they the opioids in and of themselves allow them to live their life. Pat, what do you think about steroids for bone pain? I think they're effective, and again, I think the major problem with steroids is just. Uh, how long do you want to use them and what are the side effects? And they have to be actively managed. Absolutely. What do you think about the complementary and alternative therapies for bone pain? If the individual finds that that's useful, acupuncture, massage, even meditation or Pilates, so you actually kind of learn to live with the pain that you do have. I would strongly encourage people to uh, look into those and see whether or not that is somewhat effective or effective at relieving their skeletal pain. Yeah, me too. I do encourage the patients that I see to try those methods of pain relief because in many circumstances, they can be extremely effective. With respect to some of the uh, procedures that we perform to alleviate bone pain, there are uh, vertebroplasty and kyphoplasty, and I perform both of those. Those are techniques of injecting uh, bone cement into a bone that is collapsed due to metastatic cancer or due to osteoporosis, for example. Uh, 
Pat, what, what is your sense for uh, the effectiveness of these therapies? No, I think that they can be quite effective. I mean, there have been some double-blind uh, placebo-controlled trials which have suggested they're, they're not effective, um, and there's a, there's a significant placebo response there. Yeah. I mean, the older you get, the slower your bones are actually going to repair, and they're going to have to repair themselves after the surgery. So if possible, go the therapeutic route, uh, whether it's physical therapy, whether it's some adjunct therapy, whether it's losing weight. I would try that before I would move into the surgical stage. Sure, I agree. And now let's look into some exciting new therapies for skeletal pain. And in fact, your investigations have led to the development of some of these new therapies, like denosumab and tenazumab. And let's start with denosumab. Well, denosumab is a super potent bisphosphonate. It basically shuts down the cells which destroy bone. It's approved for use in bone cancer pain. I believe it's now being used for patients with uh, osteoporosis. Its limitations is that it's really stopping the destruction of bone, but it's really doing nothing to promote the formation of bone. As you age, it's not that you're just losing growth factors. There's these inhibitory molecules, which are also almost like a linear increase. I mean, you have virtually none of this when you're 20, and by the time you're 80, you have eight times as much floating around. And what is, this is called sclerostin. I think the whole sclerostin uh, discovery and now it's uh, attempt at being used in therapies and patients, and certainly it, it really has opened our eyes up because it really says as you age, not only might you be losing growth factors, there's an ever-increasing number of inhibitory factors, and that offers a very tempting therapeutic target mm-hmm. because you can now target the inhibitor and actually so, show that you can get significant bone formation in the aged human bone. Yeah, that, re- that really is intriguing. So to summarize, as we age, inhibitors to bone formation increase. And one of those inhibitors is called sclerostin. There are studies underway today in the use of an anti-sclerostin drug, if you will, in cases of multiple myeloma, which is a type of bone tumor, and in cases uh, where patients have had hip fractures to determine if uh, these patients will see an increase in bone formation with the use of a drug that blocks sclerostin. And, and Pat, tell us about tenazumab, because that's another exciting new therapy. Tenazumab is the anti-NGF. That's the one that they showed that in osteoarthritis patients with, when you're looking at walking pain, it reduces their pain by 40 to 50%. Wow. It's a very impressive biological effect is reducing skeletal pain. When you're giving it to a patient, advise them, do not go back to your normal activity levels when you're 18. <laughs> Moderate your activity because... Your bones are simply not what they were when they were 18. And, and by the way, tenazumab, unfortunately, is not yet available. It's in clinical trials. It's remarkable for me to imagine having to advise patients not to be as active as they once were many, many years ago because they're on uh, temazumab, which, which effectively blocks nerve growth factor. And remember that nerve growth factor sensitizes the nerves in bone. And I'm also very curious about the potential of using something like tenazumab along with an anti-sclerostin drug, which would allow bones to grow. No, I think it really just opens up an entire new vista of us being able to say, wow, you know, we actually have an idea of what, what's driving 40 to 50% of the skeletal pain, right. which is NGF. And then we have this other therapy. We can actually build bone in older individuals. I think it's truly revolutionized. Yeah. The way we view bone, understand why it, it, it declines with age, that your sclerostin levels keep going up, that you may have sprouting of nerve fibers. 
And so I think it's, it's really given us not only scientific insight, but it's given us specific targets that we can actually look at and say, how much can we relieve pain? How much can we do for functional status? Can we also basically have a significant effect on these people to successfully age? Very exciting. And I want to mention that drugs like pregabalin and gabapentin can be used for neuropathic pain of the bone, that there's exciting potential for the use of gene therapy, and finally, tissue regeneration for torn ligaments and tendons and cartilage replacement. Dr. Manti, thank you for being here today on Aches and Games. Well, my pleasure, and thank you very much for having me. The views and opinions expressed in this radio program are solely the views of Dr. Paul Christo and do not necessarily express the views of this radio station and Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine, nor an endorsement by any or all of them of any of its content. This show provides medical information, not advice. Please consult your personal physician before engaging in any course of treatment or use of any of the techniques or products discussed on this show. Discussion of particular uses of products on this show have not been approved by any of the manufacturers of such products. To access podcasts of the show, please go to paulchristomd.com. That's paulchristomd.com. Aches and Gains is produced by Tom Blair and Ty Ford. Elsa Langford is the technical consultant and engineer. Dr. Paul Christo is the executive producer. Thanks for listening. This is Aches and Gains with Dr. Paul Christo.